You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Goal is this morning, we're going to do a little expository look at Ephesians 2. That's just a fancy word of saying we're going to break it down verse by verse. Uh, but we will not get through every verse this morning. I'm not even going to pretend to think that I can break down 22 verses in less than 40 minutes. However, hopefully, it'll be enough to where we can prime the pump a little bit. And maybe this week, you'll go back in your quiet time, get back into the book of Ephesians, because how many of you know that we are not designed to just eat once a week? And if all you're doing is coming to church once a week to hear the word or to look at Bible verses, you're going to starve. You're going to be deprived. Um, and this is a wonderful opportunity for us to just see exactly what God has for us in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2, this morning, I've dubbed alive. Alive. Guess what? You are alive this morning. If you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and He has put His Spirit inside of you, you are alive for all eternity. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter emotionally where you are this morning. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess that with your mouth, you're born again. You're saved. And guess what? You didn't do a thing to earn it. And that's what Ephesians 2 breaks down so simply. So let's jump right in. Ephesians 2, I'm going to read completely through verses 1 through 10, and then we'll go back and we'll look at a couple of things um, of importance. Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted. Say all. We all once conducted in this. Yeah, that's you. That's me. That's everyone you've ever known. We all walked in this sin, in this disobedience. We conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, say but God. Whenever the Bible says but God, Perk up, okay? Because when, when you're talking about a transition, you're talking about a plot twist in that favorite movie you like. You know when you ever see that movie, you're like, have you seen this movie? Or you haven't? Well, I want to ruin it for you. I don't want to say too much, but you need to watch it because there is a twist. There is something you'll never see coming. Well, this is a twist in the Bible whenever you see but God. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loves us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the richness of your word. Holy Spirit, may a fresh revelation fall on us today of your love and your grace and the free gift of salvation that we didn't earn, but you've poured out on us. Amen. So Pastor Mark did a good job last week, but I think every time you begin to break down an epistle or a letter of the Bible, it's always good to understand the context of which this was written. Yes, the Bible is inspired by God. Yes, the Holy Spirit moved on its writers. But guess what? The writers were people. They were letters written to specific other people, written to specific other churches in a certain time. And Paul had a certain point of view. He had a certain culture and history. And even with his revelation, even as filled with the Holy Spirit as he was, and even the radical transformation he received with his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, we're all aware of that. You can see Paul working out his understanding of the gospel, his understanding of grace, the way he writes. It's all over the pages when you begin to break it down. Because Paul was a Jew, not only a Jew, but he was a Jew of Jews. He was raised from birth in the deep, deep history and culture of the Hebrews for thousands of years. He would have been as a small child. He was taught about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He learned of the prophets. He knew of Moses and the the writings of Moses and the law and David and Solomon and the building of the temple. And he was so enthralled by this. It so permeated who he was that he went on to become a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the religious leading council of Israel of its time. You may have heard this or not, but the the minimal entry point of getting a seat on the council of the Sanhedrin was that you had to have the Torah memorized. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, in my Bible, that's 190 pages of really small print. Paul could sit up here today on this stage and start from the beginning and never miss a word and just recite that verbatim without pausing. He knew what it meant to be a Jew. He was a zealot Jew. He was zealot for the house of Israel, so much so he thought Christianity was a cult. Persecuted Christians had him thrown in jail, even unto the point of death. And here he is, some years later, post-conversion, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, a proclaimer of the gospel, a planner of churches, and he's writing a letter to the churches. This one we have entitled to the church at Ephesus, and you can still see that Paul, with everything he had been through, he's still having a tough 
time wrapping his his mind around the message of grace and what God was really doing in the city of Ephesus. Because like Pastor Mark mentioned last week, Ephesus, I mean, that's the place you want to go if you want to go find the party. This was the place to be circa 60 AD. Well, that just kind of <laughs> take that down. <laughs> Ephesus was on the road, a trading route into Asia. It was wealthy. It was opulent. It was international. Every language, every ethnicity, there was Jews and Gentiles, pagans, you name it. They were there. Party city. Think, think the Vegas Strip on a Saturday night. Think Times Square in New York City on New Year's Eve. That's Ephesus. And Paul, who spent some two and a half years there preaching, planted a church, and he saw people radically getting saved, not just people, non-Jews, Gentiles, that it pagans, who one day, they're in the temple of Aramaeus, which is a prostitution temple, doing their thing, and the next day, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, praising God, calling on the name of Jesus. And Paul is watching this, and he's gobsmacked. Do you know this term, gobsmacked? You ever heard gobsmacked? It's, an, it's a British term. It's an English term, and it means utterly astounded with your mouth wide open to the point of getting smacked in the face. Gobsmacked to see what is happening in Ephesus. Verse 1, he says, you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead. You're non-Jews. You're not a part of the promise. You've never even heard of any of this. You were completely dead. Now, I think it's interesting to point out the Bible has a different point of view in death than we do, basically speaking. If we were to take a poll, tell me what it means to die to you, to be dead, we would all pretty much say the same thing. It's when we leave this body, we leave this earth, they'll bury us in the ground or cremation if that's your thing, and we're no longer here, we'll be mourned for a while, it's... Our loved ones are gone. We're not going to see them anymore. That's how we think of death. That's not how the Bible describes death. When Paul says you were dead in your trespasses, they weren't physically dead. In fact, they probably would have argued that, no, I'm living my best life right now here in Ephesus. I'm the opposite of dead. I'm living it up. I'm partying. But death meant separation. He said you were dead dead in your trespasses because you were separated from God. You were separated from the promises and the family of God. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says to be absent from body is to be what? Present with Christ. I got good news for you this morning. I hope it's good news for you. It can be before you leave here. When you leave this body, you don't die. You don't die. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the gift of eternal life. Paul says, I, I long for that. I prefer that. Take me out of this earthen vessel so I can be with Christ because I know I'm not. That's not what death is. Death is separation from God. Death is to be separated from him and his promises. You were dead 
in your trespasses, he said, but now you were made alive. You were alive. And listen, God, Paul's not, he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the church. He's not like trying to throw their past up in their face. Like, look at, look at where you were. Look at who you are. He wasn't trying to bring up their past and make them feel bad or guilty. I mean, Paul, of all people, wouldn't do that. Can you imagine knowing his past and where he came from? What was the source? What, what do you think really drove Paul? to do what he did, this sacrificial life where he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was flogged, the 40 lashes minus one, he was left for dead and stoned, uh, starving, uh, naked. I mean, this man paid the penalty for, for serving Christ in a very rough time, even when he was converted. And even when, when the Lord, he said, no, I got plans for Paul. I'm going to show him how he's going to suffer for me. What do you think it was that kept Paul going in such a love for God and a revelation of grace and to be able to preach this gospel like he did? Because he remembered where he came from. He remembered what he was delivered from. That's why he could, this wasn't false humility or false pride when he said, no, you don't get it. I was the chief of all sinners. I know where I came from. I know what I've been delivered from. And that's what he was reminding them of. Remember, you were dead in your trespasses, but now God made you alive. And it's good to remember where you come from. It's good to remember where you've del been delivered from because that is what creates gratefulness. And gratefulness gives birth to thanksgiving. And thanksgiving creates a heart of worship. And when you're worshiping and when you're grateful and when you're thankful, then all that other stuff, including your past and your shortcomings, just falter away. They just go away. I will say to you, it is impossible to be in an attitude of worship and to be thankful, and to be grateful, and at the same time have anxiety, and lack of self-worth, and condemnation, and guilt. You can't sin, and you can't be separated from God if you're lined up in his presence with gratefulness, and thanksgiving, and a heart of worship. You were dead in your trespasses, and now you are made alive. If you could just wake up in the morning and just start right there, just start right there. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you gave me the gift of life. I could never earn it or deserve it, but you've put it on me through your son, Jesus. I'm alive and I'll live forever in him and with you. Everything else might just fall in line that day. We owe such a debt and we didn't deserve any of love, God's love or mercy. But God. But God. Verse 3. Among whom also, speaking of where we came from, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature 
children of wrath. He said, we all, all once did this. We were born in it. We were born in the sin nature. We were born in the flesh. Doesn't matter who you've known. Just think of the sweetest little old person you've ever met. My, I've got, I've, we've got this neighbor. She is just the nicest person. She's so generous. She's always smiling. She's always so happy. And you just kind of want to look at people like that and say, I bet, that's, I bet they've just never done anything wrong. They've just never made a mistake. Wrong. Wrong. We all have walked in the lust of our flesh and fulfilling its desires. It's confusing sometimes as Christians, really. It's confusing to us because we think about, well, when, I'm, when I start serving God or when I become a Christian or when I get filled with his Holy Spirit, then all that old junk is just going to go away. But that's not what this chapter says because in verse 2, Paul says we all walk according to this. It's natural. It just comes natural. And I think sometimes we set ourselves up at a disadvantage when we think we automatically, just because we're Christians now, we get a get-out-of-jail-free pass, and we no longer have to deal with this. He says you walk according to this sin nature. It comes natural to you. That according to is... It's, a, it's like a musical term. It's in synchronization. It's a marching. It's day by day, hour by hour. If you're not careful, if you're not watching what you're doing, that is what comes natural to you. That's the path you're going to take, Christian or non, because the sin nature's there. It's always lurking. The flesh is around. That's why repentance is so important because when you're walking in according to the flesh and according to your natural desires, you got to what? You have to repent. What does repent mean? Quite literally, it means to change your mind, to change your mind, to turn your mind and to turn around. And when you repent from the sin nature, you are turning back towards the spirit, turning back towards God. And it's a natural thing. That's our battle. Galatians chapter five says the spirit and the flesh are at conflict. You are spirit. You are flesh. Guess what? You have conflict. Nobody gets away from this. Nobody gets a pass on this. I like that word conflict. It isn't like they, they just don't get along very well, or they don't really want to be in the same room, or they had a little tiff last week. No, conflict. That's a, that's a visceral term. It's a battle, and it goes on inside of both of us. 2 Corinthians 10 says, we demolish every thought that holds itself against the knowledge of God, and we make it obedient to Christ. How do you demolish a thought? How do you take a thought? Because guess what? The thoughts are coming. And again, that's where we sometimes struggle. It's like, man, why am I thinking about that? Why? I've been a Christian for 20 years. Why does that still rear its ugly head in my life? What is going on here? I ought to know better. And even if the enemy can't get you to do it, he's going to condemn you just because you thought about it. Unless you demolish that thought, 
and you make it obedient to Christ, how do you demolish it and have obedience? Through repentance. It's through repentance. You turn. And guess what? Repentance is not a one-time thing. Again, a thing we struggle with sometimes. Oh, hey, have you ever repented? Yeah, I repented when I was 13. Got born again. The preacher washed away all my sins. I repented. Yeah. That's great. That's the gift of salvation. But repentance is a day-by-day necessary decision to change our mind and hold that thought obedient to Christ in the spirit. You want to know why? Because of what's normal. You want to know what normal is? Normal is pride. Normal is prejudice. Normal is lust and anger. The Bible says it's common to all of us. If if you're not paying attention, that's what's naturally going to come out of you. It's common to us. So don't be shocked when it happens. You want to know what not normal is? This is not normal to love those who don't love you, to overlook offense, to hold your tongue when someone is popping off on you or being mean to you. You want to know why that's not normal? Because that's of the spirit. If you love those and serve those who have animosity and ill will towards you, that is only by the Spirit, because I can promise you that is not the flesh. We all walk according to the flesh at some time or another. We did it just completely willingly without even being conscious of it before we're Christians, and you'll do it after if you're not holding the thought captives and making them obedient to Christ. Paul says, we all had to deal with this. We all deal with this. But then he transitions into the good news, verse 4. But God, but God, because of his great love, he loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ By grace, you have been saved. This one sentence is really the turning point from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Old Testament said, you've got to work. You've got to do the right things. You've got to obey the law, the rules, the regulations, 636 laws in Israel at one time. And then Paul describes in other parts of the Bible is like, here's the catch to living by the law. You break one rule, you've broken them all. It's either you're either perfect or you're completely dead according to the law. That's the Old Testament. And then he comes right here and he says, but God, but God in his great love for you gave you a free gift and stamped all of that requirement, paid in full. The Greek word tetelestia. It's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. Tetelestia, paid in full. But God, 
in his great love and mercy for us, he fulfilled the law requirement through his son, Jesus. Think about that the next time we take communion. The next time you take of the bread of his broken body that healed you and you drink of the cup for his blood that was sacrificed for the sins once and for all, he saved us. Verse 6, it keeps getting better. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, he raised, not only did he save you and give you eternal life, but he raised us up in the heavenlies to cause us to set in Christ Jesus. Pastor Mark talked about this last week and did a great job of describing this phrase in Christ. It's peppered in the book of Ephesians. It's everywhere. It's the seasoning of the epistle in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, you have been raised up in Christ, up in, that's a double preposition, up in Christ. I had a, just a, a revelation of, of what it means to be in Christ a few years ago. It's one of the, it rocked my world. It was one of my foundational understandings of who I really am in God's eyes. Because to be in Christ to know that I am in him, and it even goes a little deeper because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, did you not know or have you forgotten that Christ is in you? So not only am I in Christ, but Christ is in me, and God has, through his perfect love plan, has taken Jesus, his son, and the rest of his sons and daughters, and he has merged us together in spirit where there is no separation, and there is no either or, it's just all of us together. So guess what? When God looks at his son, Jesus, guess who he sees? You. When he looks at you, guess who he sees? Jesus, there is no difference. Where's Jesus right now? Seated in, where's he physically right now? He's physically sitting at the right hand of the Father. Guess where you are right now spiritually? You're seated at the right hand of the Father in Jesus. Jesus is the, the Romans 8 says Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. What does that mean? That his physical body has been resurrected and perfected. His spirit is already perfected. So there's one man who's already gone before us who is physically perfect and made whole, matched with the physical perfect spirit. That's why he's qualified to ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. And you and I spiritually are there too. Why? Because when you're saved, the Bible says that you are stamped with the Holy Spirit as what? A down payment of what is to come. And even though spiritually you've been made perfect and whole, the physical body hasn't yet. That's the lust. That's the temptation. That's the sin. That's the battle. But in the spirit, you're perfect. And in the spirit, you're at the right hand of the Father in Jesus and Jesus in you. And guess what's going to happen? Guess who else is going to be resurrected and made complete and come up out of the grave one day just like Jesus did? Us! us because the firstborn he went first and we are going to come behind 
Well, that blessed me. I don't know. That's, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. He raised us up. Verse 7. Kind of lost my place here. Where am I? Okay, verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The ages to come. Paul talks about this quite a bit in his writings. He talks about the ages. Um, it's kind of a phrase he uses to, to discuss eternity. The age we're in as opposed to the many countless ages to come. Do you know that we are in an age right now? Recorded history is an age. So we, I mean, depending on what you read or how you study it, about five to 6,000 years of recorded history is what we have. One age. That's the current age. Paul says, the reason God's doing this, the reason God lavished his love and poured out his gift of mercy on you through his son is so that in the ages to come, he can show his riches and his mercy through you. He's going to show us off for all eternity. Look, it's like a proud papa. Look at this. You ever seen a, a, a mom or a dad come out of the hospital with their baby for the first time and like, look at my baby girl. Look, this is my boy right here. It, the, the look on their eyes, especially those first time parents, you know, they just be blasting it all over social media. Show them, I can look at someone's uh, uh, Instagram or Facebook and I can tell you if they're a first time parent or not. The first time you have a baby, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, let me see them. Yeah, it's just, oh, ooh, you got a lot of pictures. Okay. But then after like the second or third baby you're kind of like you got any pictures it's like well here's one from a year and a half ago <laughs> but but God it says he's showing us off he's a proud papa showing us off his exceeding love and grace and mercy that he has poured out on us verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. You know what he's saying there? He's like, it's by grace you were saved. That's a gift. You didn't do anything to earn that. And just in, think, just in case you thought you mustered up just the faith to receive that, well, no, you didn't do that either. You didn't do any of it. None of it. It's a gift. It's absolutely outside of your ability to do anything about. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, if you ever thought about gathering together some verses for memory, I'd put Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 right at the top of the list, because if we can just stay right here, if you can just stay right here on how you're saved and how you are in right relationship with God and what it is he did for you and you didn't do anything to earn it, deserve it, keep it, or lose it, it'll set you free. It is so liberating. There's so much freedom. There's so much peace. Oh, you mean I could lay in the bed for the rest of my life and God's going to love me just the same? Stay there till you get bed sores. 
don't even turn. Just lay there and binge watch every show on Netflix, and he's still going to love you and call you his beloved and just dote over you and see his son in you and see you in Jesus. It doesn't change anything. You mean what about the people that sell everything and go on the mission field for 30 or 40 years? Doesn't matter. That's not what brings salvation and God's love to you. It doesn't. Doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do, what you, where you came from or where you're going. It has nothing to do with any of that. And we have a we have a problem. We have a problem with that message of grace. And if you don't, here's the catch twenty two of grace. If you don't have a problem with it, then you've never really walked in it. And if you've ever really walked in it, then you might have a little problem with it. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's just contradictory to everything that we, because the, the, we, we want rules. Even the biggest cowboy in this room wants a kind of to know what to do. We want a list. Okay, so if I do this, then this will happen. If I don't do this, then this will happen. That's the flesh. That's the sin nature. But by grace, you were saved. Well, I think the music behind me, y'all need to check your watch. I think, I think I'm supposed to have another 15 or 20 minutes. I wish we could go through the rest of this. There's still 10 verses left in this chapter. But the rest of the chapter says you're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners to the family of God. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer black or white. There's no longer European, Asian, African, male, female. It's not how God sees you anymore in Christ. He says you're citizens in Christ. You're citizens. You're saints and fellow members of the household with Christ Jesus, the chief cornerstone. There's no shaky foundation or cracked walls or wobbly floors in Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. Go back and read it. You're a citizen, you're a saint, you're a fellow member of the household of Christ. You are now, says this too, at the end of chapter two, you are now a building, a holy temple, a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. If I could leave you with one thought this morning, I would pray my desire for you is that you walk out of this building and you know who you are in God's eyes. Don't belittle yourself. Don't put yourself down. Hold that thought captive if you think you're not good enough, if you don't have the right pedigree, if you struggled a thousand times with the same stumbling block. That is not how God sees you. He sees you as a holy temple and His spiritual dwelling place. Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the Son sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, 
Twitter, and Instagram.